It's a 42 and 40 degrees outside the Apple Tree Automotive Superstore Studios. We turn now to Mr. Pete Callender from the Pete Callender Show podcast at thepetecallendershow.com. Good morning, sir. How are you? Hey, good morning, Mark. Is that John Roten singing Ripple? That's, that's What's just, that? I said, is that John Roten singing I Ripple? Recon- I didn't recognize him. Who was that, actually, John? <laughs> was that was that David Grisman? Oh, come on. The two of you ought to know that voice if anybody in the world. Was it Grisman? No. I, yeah, it sounded like you, John. Look at the screen. Oh, wow. Rick Danko. I, I don't know that I'd ever guessed that from the old Rick Danko from the band. Mm. Mm. I have never heard There's that His cover of Ripple. Mm-hmm. I have to uh, ask him to download that one. One of the comments I saw uh, posted on that YouTube page was that uh, Rick and Jerry harmonizing in heaven. Oh, I guarantee you yeah. there is a party going on. There's no question <laughs> about that. Uh, Pete, yesterday uh, on the Pete Callender Show podcast, you did a really cool interview with, uh, I believe it was the Pacific Legal Fund. Is that where she was from? Yes, the Pacific Legal Foundation, the attorney uh, in North Carolina with this nonprofit uh, organization. Her name is Jessica Thompson, and she's representing Club 519, who, if there are any uh, ECU grads listening, they probably know this place. Apparently, it's a, uh, it's a landmark in that community, and uh, they've been closed. It's a private bar, and they've been closed for uh, about a year now since the governor's lockdown orders. They've been unable to open with the, you know, the capacity restrictions and the space restrictions, and uh, they had their day in court, well, their first day in court, uh, about uh, less than a week ago. And the attorneys from the attorney general's office representing Governor Cooper did what appears to be from the reporting just a terrible job in trying to defend how private bars should be treated or why they should be treated constitutionally different than all these other restaurants and bars and breweries and wineries and such. And yeah, the judge ahead. was begging for a reason at that point, was he not? Literally. Literally said that. Said, can you, yeah, I, I'm begging you, please, if you've got it, give me the evidence. <laughs> That's a direct right. quote. And, um, the, and they were unable to do so. There isn't any evidence as to why a private bar, and for folks who may not be aware, there are different kinds of licenses that restaurant, restaurants and bars get depending on right. alcohol sales as a portion of your overall sales. So if you want to be a private bar, and most people would never know, you walk into a bar and you don't know if it's a you know private bar right. or is it a restaurant? What is its you know actual classification by state law and what's their license for? And that's the uh, that's the issue here is they're being treated differently in a discriminatory manner when operationally there is no difference between you know the bar at Applebee's and right. uh, this Club Five Nineteen. Uh, if Applebee's can figure out a way to do it, then so can and, and breweries and wineries can figure out ways to do it, to open safely with these capacity limits. Then so can Club Five Nineteen. And right. uh, so I suspect what's going to happen this afternoon, much like we saw with the churches when Cooper got sued about the churches. And then he got sued for the about the bowling alleys from the bowling alleys. What does he do? He abandons that portion of his executive orders. He lifts it. He eases the restrictions and thereby makes the lawsuit moot. So when he doesn't do well in court, he eases the restrictions. And this then, of course, robs us all of a ruling, which means in another five months or so, if he wants to reassert that authority, he's going to be able to do so because there's been no court that struck it down and said this is overreach. 
I, I, there's not really a precedent set for it, unfortunately, at this point. Right. Um, one of the other topics that's going to be big, and we're going to be talking with Asheville Police Chief David Zach about this tomorrow, uh, and that is uh, the numbers of officers still on the force uh, right. and the dwindling numbers and what we're seeing all across the country. And, and there were some interesting stats that uh, I got yesterday. Um, in Minnesota, they lost 24 percent of their police force after the George Floyd situation. In Asheville, we lost 26 percent of our police force. And there's a uh, talk now that we could be down another 15 to 20 officers by the time March comes around. It's a, uh, that's impressive that you're able to get the chief to come in uh, to, to join you, because, I mean, I think he's the last one on the force. Right. So he's doing a lot of work. <laughs> so it's nice mean, of him down, to... <laughs> you know, yeah. When you and when you add all of the different reasons that an officer could be out, yeah. whether that's sickness or whether that's retirement Injury. or whether injury or, uh, you know, so many military service, whatever it might be, the number really becomes startling and it has really started to affect response times. And that's one of the things that we're going to we're going to chat with him about tomorrow. Yeah, the response times to emergency calls uh, and also detectives getting pulled off of investigations. So, right. uh, yeah, you so you're going to end up with more crimes that are uh, unsolved, which, you know, that was even a thing that the defund the police people said that cops should be focusing on. Well, if they can't even get to the emergency calls, what chance right. do they have to solve crimes? So, well, we look at we look at what's happened in Minnesota. And now that they're having to invest in six and a half million dollars to recruit more police officers right. that all left the force because they defunded it. And I mean, you know, there by is six a, million know, dollars by the exact amount. Right. right. Yeah. They had to increase it by the exact amount that they decreased it. Right. And that's and I, you know, that's the part that like that's the head scratcher behind it, because you could kind of look into the future from this from when they when they put the idea out there. And I think people were already reading the tea leaves going, hey, look, this is what's going to happen. Well, fast forward about a year, and this is where we are. <laughs> completely it, it, it unexpected. Really amazing. <laughs> yeah, that? completely <laughs> unexpected. Yeah, who could have who could have been able to guess that this is what might happen? <laughs> Except, of course, everybody. <laughs> right, and I mean, you know, we can even look at the numbers. Some of the crime stats from here in Asheville: over six hundred and sixty calls for service last year, just for gunfire. It doesn't mean that somebody got shot at everything at every call or that they were able to find where the source of the gunfire was, but 660 calls for a city that has a population of about 87,000 people, that's pretty significant. That's almost two a day. Right, right. Well, yeah. you'll see those numbers drop as soon as I uh, move out of city limits. So <laughs> that'll be like halved. <laughs> okay. You and your celebratory <laughs> gunfire down there in the... <laughs> Down there, and uh, I know where you. I know what to look for now. Now we've got it. We get one of those ID systems around the city that'll tell them where gunfire is. They'll just park right outside of Pete's house, basically. Yeah. Now those, gotcha. uh, from what I understand, those systems are actually pretty terrible. They, they, uh, they don't give you good data. But whatever. Um, yeah. So this was completely predicted. People were saying that this is going to be a. Uh, 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 a, re a result of the defund effort. Uh, but as we have seen with many things that the Asheville City Council does, they are particularly responsive to a very radical leftist block of voters in the city limits. Now, maybe that changes now that they're moving to uh, to elections that are in uh, you know even years where there are a lot of other races on the ballot, which is going to drive a lot more turnout. So maybe we'll right. see some sort of moderation of this moon battery, but um, uh, we'll we'll see. I, I mean, it's hard to say because yeah. uh, it's such a large population that uh, that swings those general or the primary elections. 
Well, and we've already seen uh, some heads on city council start to turn the other direction uh, when the people showed up on their front lawn and put tombstones out in their yard. I think they started to kind of get a, a picture of what was going on. So, <laughs> You're never woke still- enough. You're never no. woke enough for the mob. At some point in time, the mob comes for everybody. ThePeteCalendarShow.com, that is the website. The Pete Calendar Show podcast available each and every day on all the major uh, platforms. Uh, iTunes, Google, you name it, all of them. He's, he is absolutely everywhere. Uh, make sure you subscribe and then check out his Patreon page as well. Pete, we always appreciate it, sir. We'll look forward to catching up with you same time, same channel next week. All right. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, John. Appreciate it, guys. Yep. 851, 20. Oh, well, not 27. It's 41. <laughs> I was looking at the wrong. It's 27. We've gone way back the other direction. <laughs> Just going to check on weather and traffic.